I am Michael. I'm a small business owner, investor, improv artist, very, very neurotic, and always looking for something new and interesting to entertain me. I'm a TV host, and I'm your host for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free resume help, mental health assistance, you name it. They do it for free. They have over 500 mentors from around the world, and it's completely confidential, and I swear it's free, dweebsglobal.org. So today I am here with Sandra Sabine. Sandra's life changed when her husband passed away and she found herself a single mother of two beautiful boys. Her courage and strength led her to opening an art studio. But most art studios, you're not asked to breathe and talk about your feelings like Sandra's. And while her students might moan at first, they know it's actually better for them. And they actually call it Sandra-ism. So we'll learn all about that. She's now helping so many others through art. Um, I highly recommend her TED Talk, which we'll have linked below. And I'd like to welcome Sandra. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Michael. It's nice to meet you and uh, have a conversation today. Yeah, nice to meet you as well. Uh, I think this is a very good time to have a conversation about people just going through pain and loss because I, with COVID, I think, unfortunately, we've had a lot of people going through it this past year. Unfortunately so. Yeah, we've, we've experienced quite a bit of loss here at our community. Um, so I can, uh, the, the topic comes up quite often. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have an employee of mine just got out of the hospital yesterday. Another employee's uh, wife is in the hospital right now and she lost both her parents last year. So it's, we're right at the end, I feel like, and it's still, it's still getting people. Absolutely. We just lost a family member just, uh, just last week. So it was, yeah, so it's it's not over by any means. No, no. We, I think that's because people think it's over, so they're letting up and, and letting it in. Yeah. Where are you Where are you right now? Where are you located? Uh, so right now I'm at our, uh, our main studio, which is located just outside of Syracuse, New York, in a, a little uh, lakeside village uh, called Liverpool, <laughs> actually in New York, in the United States. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds nice, lakeside. Is it, it's got to be beautiful out there. Yeah, it's it's, it's history rich area. Um, it's uh, salt. Syracuse is a salt lake city, so the salt mines are what really uh, were founded on in this area, and the this, the uh, the lake Onondaga Lake um, is is where the salt beds originated, and um, that's how we developed this area. Is uh, they mined salt and built baskets. I love the history. There's a salt museum here that you can go and learn about the history. Um, and the village is just rich with um, architecture from like the 1800s and it's just, it's glorious. Oh, wow, sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of nature out there, I guess, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Not to get too personal right away, but I know you had mentioned that uh, you had a, a bit of childhood drama. And I guess I wanted to ask what that was about or what you went through. Yeah, yeah, so, um, you know, I, I was born in 1970. Uh, my dad's a, a Vietnam vet, um, so my mom was an artist. So it, it, it calls for a lot of uh, diversity growing up. And uh, uh, it was challenging, for sure. Um, six years old, I experienced some pretty pretty real um, childhood trauma. Um, and that didn't really um, start impacting my life um, and in a real noticeable way until after my husband had passed um, and I was 29 at the time and so a lot of childhood uh, repressed memories came up and um, I was diagnosed with PTSD um, so uh, I've been in treatment for that um, 
uh, on and off along with uh, bulimia and, um, and grief therapy as well for, for a good 20 years. Were you depressed because of the childhood trauma and you just didn't realize it for many years or did it really just not even show itself? Didn't even show itself. I'm just kind of a push it through kind of person. Um, so it's, you know, I've always had that attitude no matter what. So, uh, you know, something big and tragic happens. I'm like, all right, soldier on, you know, and I've just been that way my entire life. So you don't even think about it. Like it wasn't even a part of your psyche at the time before your husband passed. Like you could literally just tucked away and. Yeah, just, it just, uh, it actually came up in, um, uh, forget what they call it, but it's where you uh, experience the trauma if it's actually happening. Your like whole body experiences um, the abuse as if it's happening. Um, so it was a, a neighbor that had um, raped me when I was six and it was like living it all over again. And so that's where the PTSD really kicked in. Um, but uh, mental health um, professionals might you know, related to, so there was a lot of behavior related to that, that, you know, growing up or um, what might be seen as like personality defects or whatever, um, directly related to a childhood trauma that could be diagnosed before I could, you know, recollect that actually something happened. That's just incredible that our minds can do that. Our minds can bury something like that. I, I, it sounds like it came out in other ways and other, um, other facets of your personality or things that you were doing, but it's amazing that the actual occurrence can be gone. Had you mentioned it to anyone when you were a child? No, I didn't really have any recollection of it. Um, I had a lot of behaviors as if something had happened when I was a child. Um, so I didn't have any recollection and, you know, I just was a mother. We had, a, you know, a four bedroom colonial pool family we had fun you know we just we just really we had a pretty decent life and you know it changed uh november 2nd when they got the terminal diagnosis and it just seemed like it my whole life just cracked wide open on all facets you know we dove into you know uh caring for him um uh trying to do you know uh, best life possible kind of uh alternatives and uh meditation and uh, going in for like uh, Reiki, um, energy um, therapies, um, holistic oils and things of that nature uh, through the 18 months between his terminal diagnosis and when he passed away. What was he, he, what was he diagnosed with? Colon cancer. It was in stage four when they found it. So his liver was like two thirds covered. So there was really, you know, they couldn't operate and uh, they, he, he was doing um, some pretty extreme um, cancer therapies at, um, oh gosh, I can't remember, Sloan Kettering and uh, we were in Buffalo and uh, they really were not making out that much of an impact. So we dove into alternatives, like we lived a macrobiotic, you know, eating lifestyle. We went to the Cushy Institute to learn how to cook that way. Um, so we, we changed our whole lives around from uh, what was, you know, the, the whole, 2.4 whatever kids car garage kind of we were we were that um, and it changed everything but studying holistics with him and he worked right up until like a couple weeks before he passed away and that was directly um, from using those alternatives to um, for quality of life so I think that coupled with um, the actual loss of my husband and you know having to manage life without him 
um, you know, that was the reason why the PTSD just like kicked in and, you know, opened wide. Uh, you know, when someone passes, you know, everyone just kind of disappears, you know, they don't know what to say. Um, they, you know, they don't, don't want to say the right thing. So they just kind of like give you your space. Well, really what it does is it isolates you and you end up, you know, finding ways to survive and thrive, you know, in this new way, this new, whoever you are now with this person gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that left me to uh, start to explore, well, do I really want to continue with my career? Do I want to keep the home? And everything changed. I changed my career. We had moved out of the home. I started a new business. Um, and I was dealing with PTSD all at the same time and raising two kids. Wow. Well, I definitely, I definitely want to get more into where you went and how you recovered. But I'm sorry, I want to, my family is very into holistic uh, especially my wife, holistic, what we eat, you know, everything's organic. Um, she doesn't do medication when she doesn't have to. She, you know, it's, it's very much that. And you, you do believe that it, it helped your husband live longer and live, live more to a, a fuller life, I guess, till the end, huh? Quality of life. Quality. Absolutely. So eating for wellness, uh, he saw, um, he visited a, a practitioner that did um, a whole variety of holistics from oils, color therapy, stone therapy, energy work, Reiki, guided imagery. We were, um, we were going to workshops for guided imagery with some, some big names now. They weren't maybe not as, as much then, but uh, learning how to do meditation, um, which it definitely enhances quality of life right up until the end. We were able to share in those things and we grew closer. Um, in fact, his, um, his last breaths were him asking if I would guide a meditation so that he could feel himself breathe. And that was, that was some of the, the, the remaining times that we had left was using those alternatives to help him um, let go in ways he couldn't otherwise. Right. How did, how did you navigate and differentiate what was something that would help him and what was just people money grabbing at people in, in bad situations, you know, there's, there, there is a mixture of that out there and it's hard to navigate through, I guess, at least the, the, that's what I've kind of seen. True. Fortunately, there wasn't as much then as there is now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, most of what we were researching was quality stuff. And this was, uh, you know, 1998, 99. Um, so it really wasn't uh, uh, a lot of what we're seeing right now. Right, right. I mean, you were, yeah, you, it was hurt. It wasn't heard of 1998, 1999. Well, it was there. There's definitely some, you know, I, I've run into quite a lot. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm in a, te- I'm a teacher in the industry. So there, there is a lot out there, uh, either watered down or some fashion, kind of an offshoot of what the intention was of their teachers or mentors. Mm-hmm. But we worked directly with some, some big names that, for whatever reason, are not I'm not recalling right now. <laughs> it's okay, I'm I'm horrible at names. <laughs> Somebody uh, to anyone out there who has a loved one that's going through it right now, what are some of the key uh, things that you think really helped him or really helped the both of you get through it together? Oh, there's just one answer to that is is meditation. Yeah, and and he was not he was not into any of that prior to. Um, you know, picture, uh, 
you know, beard drinking, NASCAR, kind of, you know, under the car kind of, you know, kind of guy. And that, that was him. Um, but to see him dive into this for quality of life, he did most of the research. I didn't push any of this on him. It was all, I followed his lead, supported where he wanted to go with it. And together we'd research and together, like we, we, when we went to the Cushy Institute, which I believe is not, is no longer doing what they did back then, but they actually, we were in workshops with people that taught from all over the world. Um, uh, just, you know, like about drinking the right, right kind of water and why that is and things like that. Um, but we were able to um, work with um, amazing people who taught meditation in ways that now are pretty standard. Then they weren't. Um, guided imagery was something that helped him bring his mind back to center during the chemo treatments when he's sitting there and the, the IVs in his arm and you know you're, you're seeing this poison go into your vein and it's it can really take its toll on on your mental capacity in the moment and he would bring these pre-recorded um, meditations they were on cassettes which I don't even know if you can play those anymore um, and uh, he would listen to them all throughout um, and uh, when he was um, when we were traveling, it would help him not to have that racing mind when we were, because you have to travel quite far for a lot of these treatments. Um, and he would bring the med guided meditations and it would help him. Um, and like I said, uh, when he was, his, his whole body had basically shut down and he, the doctors were like, I'm not even sure how he's still breathing. And he was asking for guided meditations. So if that gives you any indication on what tool helped him the most, <laughs> that would be it. Gotcha. And you mentioned you, something that clicked with me. You mentioned the water. So it's not crazy. My wife brings uh, water, filtered water to the restaurants for her and the kids when we go out to eat. Not even a little. Okay. But you do you. Yeah, they would talk about um, how bad distilled water is to drink. And there's a lot of people who still drink distilled water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was actually like a workshop. Like I think it was like a two hour workshop and nothing but water. Well, um, yeah, my wife's been doing that forever and it would drive me crazy, but I'm starting to starting to see the light, I guess. So uh, what is the what is the Cushy Institute? Um, macrobiotics. Some people are familiar with macrobiotics and it's uh, basically um, a, a grain and vegetable. I don't want to say diet because it's really a lifestyle, but it's the it's, it's a blend of how it's cooked. It's all fresh. Um, and it's, uh, it, you get a diagnosis when you're eating for wellness there. And, um, and it, it would, so he would, he had, you know, it was all digestive. Um, so he would have a particular balance of grains and certain vegetables during certain times of the day, certain liquids, uh, and, you know, just stay away from these foods or these types of, uh, condiments. And it all had to do with his body chemistry. Okay. So this is a, a place that you, so I, I have no idea what the Cushy Network is. That's a place you go that essentially. Well, it, it was, I believe I read recently, they're no longer doing this, but you could go and eat with the community and take workshops and people who were trying to heal from, you know, terminal uh, illness mm -hmm. could go and, and learn how to live a new lifestyle and, and, and incorporate these wellness routines as a lifestyle. So we ended up passing and you had, how old were your sons? Um, we had two sons. Um, he had um, adopted my older son. He was eight, um, John. And uh, uh, Ryan, my youngest, was about to turn five when he passed away in January. 
how did you protect them from the, the hurt or the pain or what you were going through? And You don't protect anyone from loss and grief. Uh, we did some pre-bereavement um, counseling with my husband there and um, followed it up, but they were just so young and didn't really understand loss. Uh, and that led to, you know, some, some hard times for the three of us. Uh, because when you lose a parent that young, a lot of times you get stuck in that grief and get mi it gets mixed up with a lot of um, other emotions, other life challenges, um, and uh, it, it really makes things tough. Right. Well, I'm sure it's very different from what you went through as a child, but I, in, in the way our brains work, it probably did something similar to them as far as coping mechanism and, and where they would go with it. Yeah, and I just tried my best to give them tools uh, and keep lines of communication open um, and just, just be able to, to give them um, a connection to be able to talk when they were ready. Okay. And how did you find the motivation to, to move on and, and recover? And um, I had a moment uh, where my husband, um, my first husband, Craig, his name was Craig, and he um, it really sunk in one day with him that he was going to die of cancer. And I remember watching him, uh, in a, just a private moment, how he was coming to terms with that. And it changed my life. Like, uh, I decided that there, I was going to follow my dream, whatever that looked like. Uh, I wasn't going to be at, at a point in my life where I had that kind of regret. I knew I wasn't going to, to live out my dreams because he had a lot of dreams. Um, so I had been working at home, um, which was very helpful when we were um, helping him uh, with changing our lifestyle. So I ran a state licensed uh, daycare center. And so my kids could be home with us and things like that. Uh, but I've been doing that for 10 years. And uh, within a couple of years of his passing, I opened up what I had always wanted to do. I had always been an artist at heart. Uh, my mother owned a, an art center, uh, much like the one I own now, um, without the healing component. And um, I just jumped in with both feet. I had an offer for um, a space at no cost so I could get it on my feet. And I had I uh, dove into uh, entrepreneur kind of stuff and committees. I sat on committees for um, different art organizations just to get to know people, network, um, get my artwork out there, um, started doing shows, um, you know, showing my own artwork and selling it. And I think it was probably within, uh, yeah, it was within two years of his passing, I opened the doors to my art center and that was in 2002. So it's almost 20 years ago. Oh, wow. And you were going through, you were going through the, the, the trauma from your, your childhood as well at the same time. So, um, yeah, but at that point I had taken what I'd learned and the connections that I'd made in the holistics, um, um, Avenue. And, uh, these people were my mentors, my friends, my healers, my community. Um, so I was able to work and heal and use the tools to empower myself, to move forward, to, uh, use my pain as sort of a, a, you know, kind of like a diving off point, you know, I can either sink into it and identify that as a person who is depressed, grieving, widowed, you know, all the labels and roles that go with it, or I can um, create a legacy. And that's, that's what I did. That's wonderful. So, so you opened this art studio 
uh, nearby where you lived, I'm guessing. Yeah. And, uh, what's the name of the art studio? Um, Liverpool Art Center. Um, it's now shortened to LAC Studio. Okay. And how does it, it focuses on art and it focuses on healing. How, do they, how did you tie those two together? I mean, they, art is always healing, um, but how did you tie those together? Well, you say that art is always healing, but most people don't think that. They think art, oh, you learn how to paint or draw, you get a career, you sell your art, or you stay away from it because that's for artists. And that was uh, rarely my experience as an artist and rarely my experience as an art instructor. Art, art facilitator um, is, is a better term. Um, so I started as a, this business as a gallery because that's what I grew up. I grew up in my mom's gallery. She taught some classes. Um, but within a year, people were like, this is nice, I'll buy it, but I really want to learn how to do it. And they literally kind of beat down my door. So this this group of like six to eight people like followed me from this location to this location to this. You know, I relocated over 20 years, like um, four or five times. And that, you know, some of them are still with me 20 years later. So uh, it's uh, in, in teaching art, you watch people meet with their fears, insecurities, self-doubt, inner critic. And, you know, just from Brene Brown's work, you know, there's a lot just in me saying that one sentence. And so people don't want to really think about that. So what I developed was, um, yeah, you can come in and, and take these art studio classes, or you can take these med meditative art classes and really dive in into why you're struggling so much trying to paint that tree 9,000 times, because it's really not the tree. Like there's something else going on here. So the blend of you know, self-discovery mixed with um, probably one of the most vulnerable experiences, which is self-expression, that's art. You're expressing how you feel, you're expressing what you see. Um, and that is a huge mountain to climb for a lot of people. Right, it's hard, I, you know, I, like to, I like to write stories, uh, it's the same thing, it's just like painting, you're really putting yourself out there. Absolutely. How do you tie, so you do meditation with it? What else, what else do you tie in with the, with the art when they're in your class? Well, I launched um, a, a registered brand, so um, I could really lock this in what we do. And I call it creative rhythms because we have a creative rhythm. Um, and that's what I've gotten pretty good at noticing is people's creative rhythms. Um, and it's a blend of uh, using art medium for the purpose of well-being or mindfulness practices using music as a conduit for creating safe space. So that's kind of a, a, in a nutshell what I do when I'm incorporate the arts and healing. I do teach painting and drawing. So basic watercolor, acrylic, oils, drawing, things like that. Those, those classes are here because that's really legit, like knowing your mediums. Uh, but if you're talking about the meditative art classes, um, that's from directly from my TEDx talk, The Art of Letting Go. And it's letting go of the outcome, being in the moment, and discovering your purpose, your passion, your energy, your yourself, like the truth, the authenticity of who you are through the process of expressing whatever it is that you're passionate about. And it could be painting that tree. It could be painting a wall, writing a story, um, dancing a dance. It doesn't really matter. It's just something that, that inspires you. And you take that action and you let go of the outcome and you share it with people. I think once people get over the age of 30, 35, sometimes you 
at least I've experienced this and I've talked to a lot of other people have that like you don't even know what your passion is like you just have it's almost like you're passionless but I, I think everyone has a passion inside them it's, just, it's hard to find it sometimes it's, it gets lost in the stress of life yeah, I really think that it gets lost in translation because there's so many like mentors and coaches and and there's a lot of internet um, noise around find your purpose find your passion and and I really think it, it just boils down to find what makes you happy. Find that joy spot for you. And it's generally something you could do for hours and hours and days and days. And it feels like time is just passing. And that's that's what it feels like. And it doesn't matter what it is. And it brings you joy. Right, right. It's still hard to find that sometimes. It's hard to figure out what that is. It is for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I really I really feel for the, the generation, up and coming generations, because I think um, we're missing some things in society that we used to have in place. Don't ask me what they are. Um, that facilitated kind of looking for that, whether it's a hobby or it's in your career or your job, if you're lucky enough to do that. Um, and I don't know, it's not easy getting to that. It takes work to find that joy spot for most people that have been through some things in their life. And I don't think that message gets across. You know, you go on Instagram or any social media platform and it seems like everybody's happy and they're doing exactly what they want to do. And I think it's a disservice to teaching the younger generations that you have to dig deep and really become self-aware. And that takes some work to do in today's society, in any society anywhere, really. And if you don't do that work, it's really not that easy to find your joy spot your authenticity, your, your really true, like, oh, today I feel that. Not just, yeah, I'm happy today. Right. Um, I think I do a lot of that. I'm happy today. <laughs> how did COVID affect your business and, and how did you kind of pivot to, to make it work? Uh, well, a couple of years prior to, um, I launched some virtual uh, platform um, setups as far as the the healing arts were concerned. So luckily I had that background, so I was able to pivot pretty quickly. Um, since since um, this time last year, in the past year, I've created a full on-demand um, virtual platform for my students to access, which has a ton of videos uh, of us teaching, offering meditation, self-care programs, um, you know, just things of that nature. So it's on demand. And then I was doing virtual lives to keep the community connected to each other. You know, we, we would sometimes just talk about, you know, how they're doing, how's COVID impacted them. And sometimes we would just literally have a zoom up and just create art and we'd all be, you'd see the top of their heads and they're just looking down, but at least we had the music that we always play here, which is our on brand. Um, we were asking them to breathe, remember to breathe, which is on brand. Um, and we were just creating together, which is clinically proven to help um, manage stress and anxiety and self-awareness. So uh, those are my go-tos. I always, you know, no matter what, if I'm teaching small kids, uh, inner city, uh, you know, kids at risk, uh, adults, um, or really vulnerable populations like those in, in recovery from substance use disorder, eating disorders, across the board, those things help. So I knew during the pandemic, that's exactly what people needed. And I could do it virtually, so I did live. I also did um, just kind of sign up for free so we could have private groups and you know private discussions. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, June of 2020, which was shortly after um, COVID shut everything down, 
uh, my own son, my youngest, uh, passed away from um, uh, an overdose um, from heroin. And it was a 10-year journey for us uh, fighting his addiction. He had been in recovery in California up until fall of 2019. Um, and he came home because he was going to be a dad, and he wanted his family around him. So uh, he left his recovery community, and we knew he was at high risk for overdose. Um, he jumped into a great job, and he really was doing great. But because of COVID, everything shut down, and the isolation for anyone in recovery from substance use disorder is, is just it's, it's a horrible situation. And I think that's the fallout that's not being talked about. And uh, I hope that there's some light being shined on the needs of the community, families suffering in, in silence because addiction is just not a topic people want to talk about. But I'll tell you what I did is um, uh, we, uh, my older son John and my, my current husband Dan, who I call my miracle for good reason, we hopped in our RV and we, uh, we traveled contained and safe and we went and and brought his ashes to his recovery community so they could be a part of his memorial. And, uh, and there were so many magical ways we connected with, uh, with my son. Um, and when I got back, I thought, well, maybe I'll just close the doors. Maybe it's time. And the most miraculous thing happened. My community stepped up. They helped us make sure we made rent. They paid for their membership even when they couldn't attend. Um, they were just like, you take as long as you want. Uh, one of my um, graduates from our teen program stepped up and took my shoes. Like, like I've been doing this for 20 years for her to fill my shoes so that I could take time to grieve. And they have embraced her. She's now the lead teacher here. Um, and we're blessed to have her. Um, she's skilled and talented and amazing. Um, and, and just all these, you know, stars fell into alignment. And, uh, and, you know, we had all these surges where we're open, we're closed, we're open, we're closed. You know, it's just insane to try and manage an, a brick-and-mortar, you know, business. You know, we're doing virtual, too, but the brick-and-mortar was a really hard decision. Um, and I found I couldn't teach because in that specific location, it was 14 years. I couldn't teach in there. My son had been there so many times, and it was just so much. So I, after the, the holiday surge, um, I was at a place where I was like, I think I'll close my doors, you know, I think it's time. And then, like, within three days, we signed a lease on a bigger space, and here we are in this brand new studio, you know, and it was all because of the community and that connection that we, that we forged through creativity and connecting with each other and in a natural way of supporting each other because, you know, we're vulnerable with each other every week. So that's already there. We laid the groundwork of trust and and to be here together during a pandemic and now post pandemic is just going nowhere but up from here. The opportunities that have opened since then is just I can't even tell you how many hours I work in a week. <laughs> you know, and, and and I tell people that um, one thing I learned is uh, being the mother of of a young man struggling with addiction is we are not their lifelines. We, we cannot be their lifelines. They have to create their own recovery pathway. And so we developed a beautiful relationship in those, in those years. And since he passed, I am really stuck on this idea of um, legacy over lifeline. So creating the legacy, moving on and build, reaching out to people and building something, you know, rooted in the, the struggle that we were in, um, you know, and not being each other's lifelines. I think that's important 
to, to move forward and, and show people that light. Well, you are super strong. So it's, it's amazing what you've gone through and you have a, a very supportive tribe. I like the word tribe because you, you always hear how people live so much healthier when they're in tribes and they have their tribe. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree totally. That's amazing. I lost my brother to, uh, to uh, alcohol and drug abuse. So I know how, I know how that is, but, um, very sorry. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you have really pulled through and it sounds like you're doing wonderful things in the community. So. Absolutely. So your website is artsandhealing.com. Artsandhealing.com, A-R-T-S and healing.com or liverpoolartcenter.com. Either one will take you to the same exact website. Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and being so open. Absolutely. Really. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed our conversation very much. Thank you. Yeah, it meant a lot. I think you, you're going to help a lot of people when, when they hear what you've gone through and, and, and how you've persevered. So that would mean a lot to my family and myself. Thank you. So again, this has been a Dweebs Global production. You can go to dweebsglobal.org and you can get free mentorship help, anything from mental health to resume writing and everything in between. And it's completely free and confidential, dweebsglobal.org.